Winfield, yeah, I met you a couple weeks ago. I'm Tom. Good to have you here in your way. Hi, I'm Tom. Hi. I just monkeyed with the pulpit mic. Well, I may be a few seconds early, but uh, it's announcement time, and uh, it's a good day to worship the Lord, and we'll do that together shortly. Um, just a couple of reminders this morning. First of all, the Wednesday study on summer study on worship continues this week uh, at 6.30, Wednesday, 6.30 on worship. And then most of you all would know at this point that we have congregational meeting today I would say immediately following worship, but actually we'll have a five-minute interval where people may be excused if they wish, but certainly ask that our members make a point of staying. Uh, the time has come to release me from my call as your pastor, and I would ask that you would do so today. And for this brief meeting, it seems best to have another elder act as moderator and so we'll attend to that at this time. Jonathan will get us going, and, and then we need a, a nomination and election on that point. But someone else will hold the gavel, so to speak, today when we get to that time. But right now, uh, let's make it our focus. This is the day that the Lord has made. We are to rejoice and be glad in it. Uh, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. And so that's our focus for the next hour is to worship God and uh, we'll ask Andy to play a little something and you may still your hearts before him. The uh, time of worship proper is now upon us, and uh, we are called to worship as ever by God's word. I would invite you to stand and listen to these uh, familiar words from John's gospel, John chapter 4. Stand, if you might, for the reading of God's word. Uh, these are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ himself. But the hour is coming. And is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Let's pray. Lord, we do wish to offer true worship to you today. Um, in spirit and truth, in spirit, in the power of your Holy Spirit. In, in Ephesians 6, the apostle uh, admonishes folks to pray at all times in the spirit. And we wish to keep in step with the spirit, to be filled with your Holy Spirit that you have poured out on all flesh, on all mankind now, um, men, women, and children. And we thank you that your spirit resides within all who know and love and trust you, Lord Jesus. We thank you that we are sealed by your spirit as a pledge, a down payment of our rich inheritance in you, O Christ. And so we 
would ask that our spirit, our worship today would be offered in the power of your spirit and in truth, in keeping with your word, in accordance uh, with your moral will, O oh God, and also uh, with what you have revealed in your word are to be proper elements for worship. We believe this is the acceptable way to approach you, that you have not left us in the dark on that point, but you have made it known in your word. And Father, to that end, we will sing our songs and offer our prayers and give our gifts in your name to your glory. And we praise you now through Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, if you would take your red Trinity hymnal in hand, we'll begin our, our first song of the day. Come, Christians. Join to sing, number 302. prepare our hearts for prayer, I'd like to just make one remark about the hymn we just sang, uh, the middle verse, um, he is our guide and friend, to us he'll condescend. Some of you all will be very familiar with that language, others perhaps not as much. Condescend? I don't want anybody condescending to me, looking down on me. But when we speak about God's condescension to man, this is a good thing. This is a welcome thing. He stoops down, as it were, to our level. In his eminence, he makes himself known and understandable to us. And as one theologian has said, he speaks, as it were, baby talk to us so that we might understand him. So God's condescension to us, ultimately through his word, the person of Christ, the word of God, this is a wonderful 
and welcome thing. It's time for us now to pray. I'll open us with prayer. I'll give you a brief few moments to have a private time of confession of sin before the Lord, and then we'll close with an assurance of pardon again from God's word. Let's pray. And so, Lord God, we thank you for your imminence. We thank you for Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, that you have come near, um, that, O oh Christ, your glory was beheld, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And you have come near so that we could know and understand God the Father, you have explained him to us. And, oh God, in your transcendence, you who are lofty and exalted on high, you, are, you who are pure and perfectly holy and set apart, how can we sinful people enter into your presence? Alas, we cannot accept from the, for the blood of Christ. And now he has given himself and removed the curse from us, and the veil is rent, and we have unprecedented, open, direct, constant access to you that we might boldly approach the throne of grace to receive mercy and help in time of need. And Lord, we need you. We need you every hour, moment by moment. We need you. And we confess that even as believers, we still fall short of your glory, O oh God, sinning daily in thought, word, Indeed, help us to keep short accounts of our sins, not to try to, like Adam, to hide from you or hide them from you, but to be quick to confess them to you and to receive and embrace the forgiveness that is already extended to us through Christ. Hear now the silent confession of your people as we pray. There's an old adage that says, gaze at God and glance at self. And so, Lord, we take this time of worship. We gaze at you, but we also glance at ourselves saying, try me, O Lord. See if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We thank you for forgiveness of sins through Christ our Lord. Amen. Here again, the gospel from Romans chapter 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. We have reached the point in the service where we have a time of responsive reading. I'll ask and you all will answer. I'll join you for the answer this time because it is lengthy. Also because when we read in public, sometimes it's a little awkward. We must read at a more slower pace than we would by ourselves to wait on our brothers and sisters in Christ as we participate together in worship. New City Catechism, question number 29. How can we be saved? Only by faith in Jesus Christ and in his substitutionary atoning death on the cross. So even though we are guilty of having disobeyed God 
and are still inclined to all evil, nevertheless, God, without any merit of our own, but only by pure grace, imputes to us the perfect righteousness of Christ when we repent and believe in him. Before we move on to pray together, let me just speak to a few of the words in what we just read together in, in this form of confessing the faith together. Right down to the, the, the last two lines, by pure grace, that's the gospel. Grace is God's kind intention toward us, the kind intention of his will. It's his undeserved goodness and favor towards us, his people. He imputes to us. To impute is to reckon it to us, to credit it to our account, even as our forefather Abraham, so too with us. That perfect record, the perfect righteousness of Christ. When we repent, to repent is to change one's mind, attitude, and disposition, to turn away from sin and to turn to God in trust and reliance. Let's pray to that end, the unison prayer. Merciful one, we renounce our pride and all pretensions of self-righteousness, and we come to you in repentance and faith. We trust your death to give us life. We praise you for the gift of salvation. Amen. And now, as we prepare uh, to sing together once again, you'll need this time, not your hymnal, but the full-page Grace uh, Presbyterian Church songbook. And if you'll flip, I, I don't know, about halfway in, the song is entitled, Jesus, I My Cross Have Taken. I would notify you of a couple of things. One is that it continues on to the back of the page. And the second is that we'll just sing the first four verses. If you would stand together and sing.
trouble and distress me. Twill but drive me to thy breast. Life with trials hard may press me. And will bring me sweeter rest. Oh, tis not in grief to harm me while thy love is left to me. Oh, twere not in joy to charm me were that joy unmixed with Go, go then, earthly fame and treasure. Come disaster, scorn and pain. In thy service, pain is pleasure. With thy favor, loss is gain. I have called thee Abba, Father. I have stayed my heart on thee. Storms may howl and clouds may gather, all must work for good to me. Amen. You may be seated. That last phrase that we sang together, all must work for good to me, I take that uh, as referring to the famous Romans 8, 28, God causes all things to work together for the good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. Uh, let's continue our purpose of honoring our God and King through prayer. I'll pray aloud and would ask and invite you to pray along with me uh, silently in your own hearts. Let's pray. Lord, we just sang about taking up our cross and following you. And that's an expression that's still in the vernacular in our culture today. Well, I guess that's just my cross to bear. And sometimes people mean various difficulties, either uh, somewhat tongue-in-cheek or, or very seriously. But we remember that you loved us first and that Jesus, you took up your cross first, that you did not your, love your own life unto death, but you laid it down of your own volition, your own accord, on behalf of those that you now call your friends. And you had power to take it up again. No one took it from you. You laid it down voluntarily, no matter what man may say or think. And certainly the world is full yet today with those who scoff those who even revile and mock and ridicule your name, O Christ, or us for your name's sake. And we pray that you would encourage our hearts, that you would cause us to count it all joy when we encounter various trials, to, to leap for joy in that day in which we would, might, uh, might receive some tiny portion of persecution. Uh, by associating ourselves with you, by aligning ourselves to your cause. Help us to rejoice in that day. And while I'm praying about that, Lord, we would pray for the persecuted church around the world 
It is my want to pray for the persecuted church in China, our brothers and sisters of early reign, Covenant Church, something, um, another person taken into custody for teaching Bible studies just this past week. And we would intercede. We, uh, we would implore your sustaining grace. We know that you give grace in time of need and for Pastor Wong, for all the rest, but not only for them, Lord, you are mindful of so, so much more different parts of the globe, India, Africa. You are aware of places where the name of Christ is cursed and reviled, and we pray you would undertake for them and let them know that they are not alone. How long, oh Lord, how long? But we know that you are just when you speak and just when you judge, and we know in your long-suffering and your mercies, you're giving time, time for people to repent, even as you call all your own and to yourself. And we know that there are many of another flock that you are still reaching, uh, the elect in Christ who have yet to, to come to you. We pray that you would be pleased to reveal your son in their hearts and to open their hearts to believe as the gospel goes forward today in this pulpit and throughout our presbytery, um, Eastern Carolina, in our denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America. We know that this is a turbulent time in our country, and our denomination is not immune from feeling these travails and, and uh, doing theology, looking to your word, and also trying to understand the culture around us, and yet to hold the standard of sound doctrine and to maintain our confidence in you, O Christ, and in your word. Lord, for those in our midst who are sick or suffering or weak, we pray that not only that you would bring them relief, but that you would give them perspective, that they would be able to recognize that momentary light affliction is far outstripped by the weight of eternal glory. We pray for those needing employment in our midst that you would provide for them. We pray also for all who are looking to you, not only that you would change their circumstances or their situation, but that you would grant them, by your grace, an eternal perspective and help them to continue to follow you, to continue in the things that they have learned. We pray for this local church in the time of transition uh, to come here that you would lead and guide and direct. And we pray for wisdom to that end. We ask all this for your honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. It's time now for the preaching of the word of God. Last week, we talked about knowing Christ from Philippians chapter 3, the first 11 verses, and I have a personal purpose statement based partly off of Philippians 3.11 where we left off. Last time my personal purpose statement reads, I live to know Christ forever, both in his power and suffering, so that I might glorify him by making disciples, starting with my family, and growing hearts that know, love, and serve the Lord Jesus. 
And as we approach the second portion of uh, the Word of God today, we've got verses 12 through 21 now to contend with. You may look on the uh, full-page sermon outline that is provided uh, for your convenience with the Scripture reading on the back. In your pew Bible, we have uh, reached page 1166. Let's finish off chapter 3 together. Not that I have already obtained this. Before I continue reading scripture, let me just explain what the this refers to. What is the this? We left off in verse 11, Paul talking about attaining the resurrection from the dead. That's what he wishes to attain. Okay, here we go again, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, your word is amazing. Help us to cherish it, to embrace it, to prize it, to ruminate and reflect upon it, to read it and study it and to memorize it and to hide it in our hearts that we may not sin against you. Help us to keep your word, to obey your word in the power of your Holy Spirit. We know that left to our own devices, we could do no such thing. But now, now that we've been quickened, now that we've been regenerated, now that we've been born again and made alive together with the resurrected Christ and that resurrection power of your spirit resides within us, we can put to death the deeds of the flesh, and live more and more unto righteousness. Let us now do that and bear fruit, fruit that might remain for your glory and the sake of your kingdom. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Pixar Studios uh, toy, st toy Story franchise, that series of movies, Toy Story, includes a uh, 
lovable cast of characters, one of the best known, Buzz Lightyear, whose famous catchphrase, if you don't remember from many years ago, and they're, I think they're on, I think number four was released two years ago after, after a number of years between movies. And I, I saw uh, number four when it came out a couple years ago. Anyway, that famous Buzz Lightyear catchphrase has been around for a good while now. To infinity and beyond. Sounds awesome, doesn't it? What does that really mean? I'm not sure what, if anything, it does mean. It sounds cool, but does it have any meaning? Uh, to my kids, as they were coming up as a family, particularly when we would all pile into a minivan or SUV and get ready to set off on some family trip or excursion, I would resound a chorus slightly more biblical, I hope, onward and upward. That might have a little more meaning than Buzz Lightyear. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention one last time that uh, verse 12, the end of it, in our translation, Christ Jesus has made me his own. That's the gospel in a nutshell. Isn't it that he is king? He rules over us. He subdues us to himself. Christ Jesus has made me his own. In the NAS, as my wife well knows, this is what I want to be my epitaph. Uh, on If there is a, tomb, a grave marker or more likely something small, in the NAS it says, I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. That's what I want for my epitaph. I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Salvation is not something that we initiate. Salvation is not something that we contribute to. Uh, salvation is not based on any merit of our own or be, of being sincere or nice or, or better than others. Salvation is that gift of grace bestowed on us out of the loving, kind intention of the will of the Father. Onward and upward then. We are not finished products. Remember the memory verse from chapter 1, verse 6. I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you, who is that? God, the Lord, will continue, will perfect that work until the day of Christ Jesus, until the second coming, the return of Christ. We have not yet arrived. We're still in process. That's true of you. It's true of me. It was true of the Apostle Paul. It was true of Lydia and her family and the Philippian jailer and his family. It was true of Euodia and Syntyche and all the rest of the believers there at Philippi. None of us have, has attained sinless perfection, even though at least some time ago there was a strand of Christendom that taught such a thing. It's not in keeping with the scriptures. It's not in keeping with what Paul says here. We have not arrived. God's not done with me yet. God's not done with you yet. And so Paul speaks in the passage here of straining forward. Twice he says, I press on. So in your sermon outline, letter A, onward and upward, we've said we're not finished Products And by the way, that, that is some people's view of pastors, for example. Oh, he's been to cemetery, I mean, uh, seminary, 
And so, you know, they opened up his head and they put in all the answers. And so he knows everything about theology and everything about practical ministry. And, and he doesn't have any struggles or difficulties in his life. And my fellow elders realize full well that's not the case. My family all the more so. We're not finished products. But straining forward like the apostle, we press on. Pressing on is not trudging but it's hot pursuit after a goal like a heat-seeking missile that has acquired its target and is locked onto it. Are you aggressively following the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you working out your salvation, recognizing that it is God who is at work in you? Are you involved? One source says this of straining forward. Paul's picture is of a runner who has just turned the curve and is now on the home stretch where he can see the goal. Just the other day, I, I saw online the replay of Dave Waddle. You remember Dave Waddle? Some of you are old enough. The uh, Olympics, 1972, I believe that was the Munich Olympics. You remember him? Uh, Dave Waddle's Mark Spitz. That was the old joke. His name is Dave Waddle. He wore a cap. And in that, uh, I believe it was the half-mile race, he was way back from the pack, way back. And he strained to win the race and be the first to break the tape at the end. Straining forward. This passage also talks about forgetting what lies behind. Now, we learn from the past, but we don't live there. It's good to learn from the past, but you don't live there. We don't rest on our laurels. Jesus himself said, remember Lot's wife? That's in Luke 17, citing the story of Genesis 19, where you may recall that she looked back. The context and where Jesus is talking about is being ready for the second coming. If you look in Luke 17, the surrounding context of verse 32, that's what it's talking about, being ready for that day, the crowning day, the great day, the day of the Lord, the day of the return of Christ. Are you ready? Are you dressed in readiness for that day? Don't look back. One of my favorite verses from Ecclesiastes is chapter 7 and verse 10. You know what? I didn't mark it, but I'm going to read it because I know I know the first half, but I want to make sure that we don't fail to get the second half as well in terms of pressing on and uh, straining forward. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 10. Oh, I did mark it. Good for me. <clears throat> Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. I'm going to read it again. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. In other words, sometimes people get all sentimental about the good old days. And they become selective in their memories about, ah, oh, kids today and the generation gap. And, you know, we drank out of a hose and we liked it, you know, and... All that kind of thing. And, and, and you glorify the past. And, and the word of the preacher, King Solomon in Ecclesiastes, 
is don't, don't pine away for the good old days. It's not wise to do so because it keeps you from moving forward in the Lord and pressing on to fulfill the goal of your life, which is to know and to fear and respect and serve God Almighty and to continue to do so day after day, as long as it is still called today, because he's graced you with another day of life. And we move toward maturity, letter B in your outline. Move toward maturity. We move towards the goal, the prize, the call. Wish we could take more time to unfold those in detail. I'll treat them largely together and make just this comment. What is Paul's goal? What is he pressing on towards? What has he forgotten in the past? Well, remember, we talked about his spiritual resume last time, that religiously and morally he was pert near impeccable, and certainly so zealously. But he let go of all of those things because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. So the goal, the prize for Paul is certainly salvation through Christ our Lord, through God's one and only Son. And the call is to follow after him, to serve him all of our days. Just in brief note, I take in our passage in Philippians 3, verse 15, I take that maybe slightly sarcastically what Paul says there. Um, he, he says, everybody ought to adopt this attitude, my paraphrase, the first part of verse 15. And if, anything, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. I take that slightly sarcastically. My paraphrase of that would be, and if instead you think you have arrived, well, sport, I'll leave it to the Lord to deal with you on that point. I think that that is kind of what the apostle is saying there. No, we are to hold true to what we have attained. We are to, that's what it says in verse 16. And in chapter 2, verse 16, it says we are to hold fast the word. Hold on to the word of God. You want to know how to live your life? Be in the word of God. You want to know who God is and what he is like? Hold fast the word. You want to know the will of God? Hold fast the word. And let's make Colossians 1, 28 and 29 our attitude as well, for they say this, uh, just on the uh, two pages later, I think. Oh, one page later. Colossians 1, 28 and 29 says, Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Who is at work in you? It's God. And he also has made you alive so that you are a participant now because the Spirit of God resides within you. That's how we move towards maturity, towards the goal, towards the prize, towards the call. 
And then he shifts gears and he talks about examples. Letter C in your outline, verses 17 through 19. He lists examples, both positive and negative. The positive examples are Paul himself and those who walk accordingly. Paul himself. We could go, and some of you all are probably thinking ahead of me on this point, that elsewhere, twice in 1 Corinthians, for example, Paul says, be imitators of me, even as I am of Christ. 1 Corinthians 4, 16, 1 Corinthians 11, 1. 4, 16, and 11, 1 in 1 Corinthians. Well, does that take a little bit of gumption to say, hey, do what I do. Just look at me and you'll know what to do. Well, he says that is qualified by inasmuch as you see Christ revealed in me. But he is not afraid to say, I am setting now. My, my life has changed. All those former things, they have passed away. The old, the old self, the old creature, that, that, that's gone. There's a new creature in Christ. Emulate me. Model your behavior after mine. Pattern your lifestyle upon the outcome of my faith. Because I am tracking hard after Jesus Christ. And so he makes no bones about it. He makes no apology. To join in imitating literally means to mimic together. And we ought to imitate those who are good examples as they live their lives and conduct themselves and walk in a manner worthy of their calling in Christ. And of course, the ultimate example is Jesus himself. We studied that a year ago in 1 Peter, that he left an example for us to follow in his steps. And then listen to these words from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 about examples. 1 Thessalonians 1 at verse 4, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. An application point here would be to think of those positive role models in your life. Time would run out if I were to tell you of all the positive examples. All, all, I've had my own life. I'll mention a few. My father in the faith, Ralph, only one year my senior, a college sophomore, led me to Christ, discipled me in the Lord. He continues to be a fire-breathing, pioneering missionary who has spent time in closed parts of the world, laboring largely among Islamic peoples. And his fervor, his missionary zeal, his passion to share the faith and to make disciples, and his joy in the Christian life. Ralph was just one of those guys you just wanted to be around. 
We played tennis together. We camped out together. We double dated together. We studied the word together. We shared the faith together. Very formative for me in my Christian life. Charlie Clary in campus ministry. An example, he was always a couple of steps ahead of me in life, in marriage and then family life. A great role model to me there. And as I said, time would fail me if I were to talk at length about the pastors that I have sat under in my own life. Pastor Jed, Pastor Lonnie, still serving in the PCA in Western North Carolina, now Presbytery of the Highlands. Uh, Everett, Hal, my wife's pastor that she grew up under, the most gracious man I've ever known. And I try to pattern a portion of my ministry after his realizing I'm just not as gifted in many ways as he is. And Bill, serving out in Kansas, and Mark, who was the pastor that we sat under in Florida when our children were born, and his wonderful example. What about you? Do you have positive role models in Christ? Have you had them in the past? And perhaps more importantly, do you have them now? Who do you want to be like? Who do you want to spend time with? Take the initiative. Say, I, I, you know, I, I need some help learning my way around the Bible. I know pastor keeps saying, be in, the, be in the Bible, and I read it, and I don't know what to do. I don't know where to start, or I get bored. I fall asleep. What do I do? And ask them, what do you do in your time with God? Pursue them. Find them and follow them. But not only are positive examples mentioned in this passage, so too are negative examples, those who the outcome is not good. Those whose lives end badly. And Paul, rough, tough, missionary apostle, shipwrecked, bitten by a serpent, beaten, stoned, he weeps. Even with tears, he tells the people at Philippi that he was felt very much a strong personal connection, relationship with. He told them that there are some who are, who are enemies of the cross. Who did he have in mind? I, I don't know precisely, certainly unbelievers ultimately, but maybe the apostate, those who once professed the faith and now recant that profession, profession with their lips and by their lives and who go away from the faith. Paul weeps for them, knowing the judgment that awaits them if they trample underfoot the Son of God and the precious blood of the cross, who walk as enemies, verse 18, of the cross of Christ. They're guilty of idolatry of their belly. What is that? Well, gluttony would be the obvious place for our minds to go to. Perhaps gluttony. It could also be sexual immorality, lust. And they, not only are they involved in it, they revel in it. If we had time, I'd take you over to 1 Timothy in chapter 1 and verse 19. It talks about some have made shipwreck of their faith. And I could tell you story upon story about people who started out well, apparently, in the Christian life, but did not hold fast the word of life, who did not continue in the things that they learned. And they ultimately went out from us because they were not of us. Have you ever had negative examples in your life? 
I've had some, one in my family, a couple in ministry. Hard, painful, and yet still powerful, still something you can learn from. How not to do things, how not to treat people. And Paul talks about both sorts of examples here in Philippians 3, verses 17 through 19, the positive and the negative. And he says that ultimately the problem of those whose outcome is not good is that they have an earthly mindset, verse 19. They have an earthly mindset. Contrary to setting your mind on things that are above, which uh, passage will be our benediction today in a few minutes. But first, we continue awaiting the Savior. Verses 20 and 21. Eagerly awaiting the Savior, the Lord, Jesus Christ. Why did he come to save? He said of himself that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Why do we need a Savior? Because of our sin. We're separated from God and we cannot save ourselves. No matter how hard we try, no matter how noble or sincere our efforts, we cannot save ourselves. We must recognize that, that we need a Savior. If you could save yourself, friends, by doing better, trying harder, going to church more, praying more in your own efforts, then why would you need Jesus? You would make the cross empty and void if you think that you can save yourself. But our citizenship, it's joint, it's corporate. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's your first bullet point under letter D, awaiting the Savior. Citizenship in heaven heaven. Think about your citizenship. Uh, one thing that occurs to me is I, I hold dual citizenship, right? I'm, a, I'm an American citizen and I'm a citizen of heaven. In my American citizenship, that entitles me to certain rights and privileges. I've traveled a little bit internationally, just a little bit. Um, and I'm very quick, if need be, to appeal to, hey, wait a minute, you can't do that. I'm a U.S. citizen. That carries some weight. Of course, in certain corners of the globe, it makes you a target, maybe, right? And that could be true in the faith as well. If you mark yourself out, if you identify yourself as a citizen of heaven, I name the name of Christ. Jesus is Lord. That sets you up to become a target also for some. But, but, but there are rights and privileges that go along with that, our inheritance in Christ. There are also responsibilities and duties that accompany it. Are there not? Tomorrow, I am to report for jury duty. Why? Because I've received a legal summons from the court I am a United States citizen, and I am a resident of Wake County, and they have exercised, the government has, the power that be, has summoned me to appear, and I have to do that. So too, 
in our citizenship in the Lord. Rights and privileges, yes. But sometimes being targeted and reviled, that too. And also duties and responsibilities that go with it. Our citizenship is in heaven. The notes in the New Geneva Study Bible say the church is a colony of heaven. The church is a colony of heaven. Augustine famously in his landmark work, The City of God, says the Christian lives in the tension of residing in the city of man while already being a citizen of the city of God. The city of man often seems like it is prevailing, but we must not fear. Christ is building the city of God, and it cannot be destroyed. It is an everlasting city. And thus, we conduct ourselves, you and I, in manners worthy of our homeland, our permanent residence, pledging ourselves to the law of liberty and life that comes only through the saving gospel of Jesus and him crucified and risen. And we live our lives under the governance of our loving Lord, King Jesus. And then ultimately, one day, one day will come glorified bodies. Your remaining fill in the blanks as we finish up. The Savior will transform and conform us. The Savior will transform us, change us, give us new schematics, quite literally, from the original language, glorified bodies, not resuscitated ones. I used to puzzle and ponder over this not that many years ago. I think, oh, the resurrection of Jesus is cool, but other people were raised from the dead, right? The daughter of Jairus, the son of the widow at Nain, most famously Lazarus, and Peter raised somebody, Paul raised somebody, I think, uh, yeah, Eutychus. Uh, I think, well, other people raised from the dead. What's so special about Jesus? This is what's so special about Jesus. The others were temporary resuscitations. They were restoration to their mortal lives. I sometimes pity Lazarus because the poor guy had to die twice. The resurrection of Jesus is better. That's why 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection chapter, calls him the first fruits of the resurrection. Again, first fruits? Wait a minute. It wasn't so. In the Old Testament, Elijah raised people. Elisha raised, raised somebody. Uh, what do you mean he's the first fruits? Because he's the first of a new kind. Not return to mortality, not a temporary resuscitation but a glorification, being changed. Continuity with his body of old, but glorified, transformed, and changed. And one day, you and I will be made like him. He'll conform us to his own image. We'll be like his, imperishable, immortal, incorruptible, by the power that he has as Lord of creation, as Lord of righteousness, as the Lord who sacrificed himself for us, as the Lord who has the power of an indestructible life, as the Lord of glory. So Buzz Lightyear might still be flying around somewhere saying, to infinity and beyond. Say, better yet, onward and upward. Best of all, together, forever with the Lord. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, we need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. To forgive us. And to take that death penalty hanging over each one of our heads that we deserve. And being our substitute. God, as you show your great love for us. In that while we were yet sinners. Not after we tried on ourselves to turn over a new leaf or to clean up our act. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us in our stead, in our place. And he lives today as the glorified, resurrected Lord. And we await, we await such a time as we shall be made like him. Help us to wait on you in faith. Help us to forget largely the past. Maybe to learn from it, but then to press on and to move forward towards the goal of the upward prize, the, the call, oh God, that is in Christ Jesus. Let us follow you, not in our own efforts. Let us be strong then in the strength of your might, for we pray in Jesus' strong name. Amen. One last major hymn to sing together. Let's ask our King Eternal to lead us on by standing to sing the words of selection number 580 in your hymnal.
Now, if you would receive God's benediction, slightly longer section than I would usually use, but it uh, fits well here. From Colossians 3, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And all God's people said, Amen. time to gather most naturally would be Wednesday night at 6.30 for that continuing study on worship this summer. A couple weeks left with that. Uh, and then we'll now have a brief uh, interlude in which if you desire to, to say your goodbyes and exit at this time, you may. But I'd remind you, particularly our members, we do have a brief congregational meeting to follow. And so we'll start that in about five minutes. Lord bless you. your family so much and I certainly count Charlie a dear friend and enjoy you all as well and enjoy my times at your home we're not going anywhere you know as far as we're not moving anymore we're still going to be in the area so and we can get together thank you so much Ray appreciate you saying so much Appreciate your service and working together and everything. I hope the Lord blesses you in your new opportunity, your new position. Hope he brings Thank me you. one. Indeed. Please pray to that end. Definitely. Keep your ears open for me if you hear of anything. So who's going to generate the bulletins? I don't know exactly. Um, the elders, I, I would guess it would fall to either Charlie or Jonathan. Okay. That would be my guess. Um, you know, I put it together and sent it to Charlie, but Charlie's our communications director. Uh, Jonathan, before I came, Jonathan did it for a couple of years, sure. so it's got to be one of them. Sure. Okay. Um, well, I will look for that then. Yes, sir.